it all revolves around these two parables at the end of Mark, well, not the end, in the middle of Mark chapter 4 about the kingdom. Eric spoke on the first part of Mark 4 when actually Christ began speaking in parables. He's now continuing to speak in parables and he gives two that I would refer to as sample parables. You'll see what I mean in a few minutes. But I want us to look at these two parables because I think they provide for us an explanation that will help us sleep. And I would like to say to you, I have no problem sleeping. I don't know if this is why I sleep well. And maybe that's part of the conviction I'm feeling. I don't know. Um, but physically, I sleep pretty well. My kids will tell you, Julie tells you, uh, once I hit the bed, it's about a matter of maybe three to five seconds, I'm out. A lot of you that way probably, she'll say, I thought we were going to talk. I have something I want to share with you. And I'm like, I'm, I'm Z'd out, you know. Um, I don't really take naps. I don't... Um, require a ton of sleep, but when it's time to sleep, I have no problem sleeping. In fact, the family chronicles our vacations usually by the best sleeping pictures of dad they can find. I was going to try to find some, and I didn't find enough to make it interesting, and uh, you've seen enough of my really stupid moves on the beach, right? Remember that video of the bodyboard thing, whatever they call it? Uh, but anyway, sleeping's never been an issue, but I, I don't know that I could root the reason I sleep so well in this, and I think this, these parables really help us think about not just the what of sleeping, but why we can sleep so well. And I hope this will be a, a, a restful moment for you this morning. Maybe part of my conviction is that I've not really preached these kinds of messages much. Maybe it's the oddest message I ever preached was last service, and I just kind of wrestle all that through. I don't know yet, so I'm kind of processing live in front of you. How's that sound? That's interesting there. Okay. So let's keep this going here. These two parables about the kingdom of God. In verse 26, he, he begins the explanation by talking about the kingdom of God as, this, as a man who would scatter seed on the ground. Now this is not the same point to this parable as the previous one in which a man scatters seed, he sows seed. Same type of analogies, but there are different points, okay? So just don't, try to, don't confuse the two. In this one, he talks about a man scattering seed on the ground. And then this is verse 27 of Mark 4. He sleeps and rises night and day. That's just a simple way to say he goes about his normal business. I do think it's quite intriguing that in verse 27, he begins with the word sleeps as the beginning of his normal day. I don't know why that is. I just think it's very uh, maybe Eastern culture. In our Western culture, we would never start by saying, what would you do today? Man, I slept and then I got up and did some work. We're all too proud to say that. We're going to say, man, I got a lot done today. I got up and had it quick. I went after it. I tackled the day. I got home and I was worn out. I went to bed. And this is the opposite of that, isn't it? It's kind of interesting. He starts off saying, this man, he scattered seed and he, he sleeps, he rises. Not he goes about his life as normal. And the seed sprouts and grows. Notice the wording here. The seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't make the seed sprout and grow. He did his part. He participated. He was responsible as a farmer, right, to scatter the seed. But the seed sprouted. The seed grew. And you'll see this again in a moment. Uh, it says that regarding that, he knows not how. You've got to love a guy who's willing to admit his ignorance, right? I don't know how this happened. And by the way, we have many folks in our church who work for Corteva. A lot of you work in other seed industries or agricultural uh, frameworks. 
You might say, well, we know how seeds work. We know how they grow. I was talking to Edgar just this past week. He said, Todd, people will tell you they know how seeds work. He said, but the truth is we know very little about how seeds actually grow still. He said, there's something that germinates in there that we just, we can't control or stop or start. It's in the seed. He said, in fact, I think I'm correct on this, Edgar. When they give a bag of seed, they don't know in that whole bag of seed which one is living and which one is dead. Is that correct? You do know that. So I'll be quiet from this point on about seeds. Good point, Edgar. (laughs) I misunderstood you. Pardon? You do want to continue selling seed. I thought we were talking one point about sometimes you don't really know, though, in that little seed that if every one of them's alive. So I'm good there. Okay. So if you're buying seed, most of the time you're going to get good seed, right? But you don't know for sure if everyone is just spot on, I guess. And so he was just saying, you know, we don't know everything about how seeds work. This farmer knew that. I got off track there. We'll just stick to the Bible here, not my seed knowledge. He says he knows not how. Now watch this next phrase, the key phrase understanding the first parable. The earth produces by itself. You see that? It wasn't the farmer's responsibility. It wasn't his credit. It wasn't his action that, brought the, that was the causal agent. He had a part. He participated. But the causal agent was within the seed and within the earth. In other words, the kingdom of God is like a seed that, watch this, automatically, inevitably will grow. That's what the word by itself means. In fact, the word by itself there is the word from which we derive our English word automatic. He's saying that regardless of the farmer's actions, ability, intervention or not, the seed's going to grow. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And it grows in an orderly You might even say predictable fashion. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Now here's where the farmer actually takes the most action because the first phrase in 27, it's his normal life, right? It's what he does. He sleeps, he rises, he just goes about his life. But in verse 29, he actually takes some different action. When he sees the harvest, that the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. He seems much more concerned, if I can just be this frank with you, he seems much more concerned when he sees the harvest to make sure he gets to work. Earlier, he's just going about his life. He's doing what he's supposed to do. He rises, he works, he plants, he scatters. He knows the seed's going to grow. It's the seed's job. It's the earth's job. And when the harvest comes, that's when I really get to work. It's kind of that sense right now. That's the first parable about the kingdom of God. It's the explanation that helps us sleep better. I'll explain more as we keep going. Notice the second parable. He said, what can we compare the kingdom of God with or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. So he's talking about something in an, in an, uh, in, that's insignificant, small, that really would have no bearing upon something else. Like you wouldn't think twice about a mustard seed. I've held some in my hand. I've seen their plants. I mean, the mustard seeds, you can put many, many in in one hand. You just wouldn't think that this is going to amount to much. But he says, actually, that the mustard seed, though it's small, when it is sown and it grows up, becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches. And apparently it does something the other garden plants can't do. 
Do you kind of get that in the sense of the text? Like, wow, here's this little seed that seems like it's insignificant. It's not much to it. It's not any different than other plants, other seeds. But yet when it's grown, it does something the other garden plants don't do. It puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Now, I tend to think, as many commentators do, that this last phrase is metaphorical. We may say symbolic for the Gentiles finding shade in the kingdom of God. Several times in the Old Testament, birds are used as a reference for Gentile nations. Now, not every time. So if you were to go back and check it and say, oh, Todd, I found a place where it's, the Jews are mentioned as birds. There, there is one of those, maybe a couple. And maybe this isn't true. Maybe Jesus wasn't using this in, as a metaphor for Gentiles. It, it's not a uh, disrupting issue for us, okay? I tend to think he is, though. I tend to think he's saying what you see as a very small Jewish thing will actually become larger than every other garden plant and it's going to house even the Gentiles in the world. They're going to make their nest in what we know as the kingdom of God. So, so here's two parables that help us understand God's kingdom that help us sleep. One talks about how, and this is what I would say is a simple summary for a parable one, that regardless of our ability, regardless of our intervention, regardless of our knowledge, in other words, just regardless of us, God's kingdom is going to grow. It's going to come. I think it was at this point in the first service and even just now, just thinking that's hard to say because no pastor wants to just take that posture. It's just kind of counterintuitive to, to what we do. We want to say we have a part in it that makes a difference, that actually causes something. We, we want to make sure we expand those words to say, no, no, surely I'm part of the equation. But if the parable means anything at all, it means this. You're part of the picture, but, but you don't cause any growth. You're a seed scatterer. You're not indispensable. I mean, in other words, if the parable says anything, it actually minimizes and reduces us and kills our pride. It doesn't overemphasize us. You have to hear that, okay? And I think you've got to hear that for your posture as well and for your role. The point of the parable is human intervention, human knowledge, human ability really does not affect, begin, start, or stop the growth and the coming of God's kingdom. And instead of fighting against that, like perhaps in my heart, I want to do, I should find in that beautiful delight and rest that it's just off my shoulders. Amen. Now, you notice that in this summary, I, I put the word come. You see the word grow twice here, verse 27. You, had a, you should circle that and then you should draw a line from that to verse 32 where it says grow. There's no doubt the parables are saying that God's kingdom's going to grow. But I think Often in the American culture, we miss an aspect of Jesus' teaching because we focus only on the idea of growing. And we typically think in numerical fashion. We think of bigger and better. We think of authority and power and control. And we get Jesus' intention, which is what the Bible calls the authorial intent of the text. We get that mixed up with perhaps our cultural lens. Understand, when Jesus talked about the kingdom, he undoubtedly meant it would grow. 
Gentiles would come in. There would be initial 12 followers. Then it would grow to 70-something at Pentecost and to 3,000. So we'll, no one here is saying it didn't grow and it shouldn't grow, right? But it wasn't this thing was growing and then it just kind of stay on earth in that form. The point of the kingdom was that when Jesus arrived, he brought the kingdom. Uh, theologically, we say he inaugurated the kingdom. And so it's live, it's present where his rule and reign is, but it's not yet fully consummated until he comes again, the second coming of Jesus. At that point, Jesus will bring his kingdom, and watch this, it will be on earth as it is in heaven. You see, most of us, I think we keep thinking that, well, when this life's over, we're going to go up there, and man, we'll praise God in heaven. That is true, but that's not the only thing that's true. After heaven, if he's not come back yet, uh, once he comes back, then there'll be his kingdom on the earth, a millennial reign for 1,000 years, and then eternity, what we call the eternal state, and we will praise his name forever without being tired and glorified bodies. All that is the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So when Jesus said, you should pray this way, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's not praying just for the kingdom to grow. Are you with me? He's praying for the kingdom to He's praying for us to pray that the kingdom will come, that this, this gap between his first coming and his second coming, we pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly because we want to see the end of the injustice, the things that we look out and we say that's broken, that's not right, and there's nothing you can do about it until the kingdom comes. You can fight against it. You can try to put a Band-Aid on it. You can help. You can put a stopgap measure in. I agree with all of that. But you can't permanently once and for all, fix some things. Only Jesus the King can do that when his kingdom arrives. That's right. So what I'm saying to you is, let's agree, the kingdom will grow. But more importantly, in one sense, we should be praying and longing for the kingdom to come. In fact, I would challenge you with this. I did this just last night, in fact. Just to kind of double check myself. Read through the other parables about the kingdom. You'll find that most of them, and I challenge you with this, most of them really kind of lean towards the coming aspect not just the growing aspect for instance remember the 10 virgins five weren't ready and five were what were they waiting for the coming of the bridegroom remember the talents the ones who did not enter the joy of the kingdom were those who what when the master came they had not worked their talents and multiplied right so when you find that a lot of the parables about the kingdom to help them understand it really are about when the king returns, so I just want to challenge you and make sure you understand. Yes, it speaks of the growing, inevitable nature of the kingdom. But it's growing so that at some point, Christ will return and assume the visible reign of his kingdom on earth and heaven. In theological circles, we call this the inaugurated kingdom when Christ came the first time. And then the consummated kingdom when he comes the second time. And we're living between the two right now. So we pray, say it with me, your kingdom come. Revelation says we should pray this, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. Why? Because we long for his kingdom while it's growing to finally come. And this parable says to us, watch this, this is, this is delightful news. It's bound to come. It is inevitable. It's promised. 
you can't start it. You can't stop it. All you can do is see it happening, and when the harvest is making itself visible, man, let's get to work. So there's this sense in which we're working, we're participating, we're engaging, but we know we're not in any way the cause of this. It is automatic by the Spirit's power in God himself. So there's this first idea. The kingdom grows, it comes regardless of our ability. And instead of kind of fighting that and thinking that's making us kind of, uh, you know, third and fourth and fifth place players, we should say we're glad to take that role. Man, God, it is your kingdom. Amen. Amen. We should feel the, the, the Velcro stuff, this stuff just get unvelcroed from us, right? Just, it's unleashed. The pressure, the expectations. The second summary, I think I would put it like this, that the kingdom grows, the kingdom comes regardless of its small beginning or size. You, you, you can see that in the second parable. It's pretty easy. By the way, that's a literal understanding of this parable. Did Jesus come with a lot of fanfare? When he brought the kingdom, was he like the, the stallion rider who made the grand entrance? No, he was the baby in the manger, right? When he called his first followers, he didn't call the well-known people. He went by the sea and gathered the normal common fishermen. So this, this kingdom that he came to announce through repentance and faith, it's always been this kind of small beginning kind of kingdom. But don't be surprised when that's the very kingdom that grows, becomes larger, and one day even the Gentiles of the world, that's you and that's me if you're not a Jew, all the other nations will, will find their nesting, their home in this very seemingly insignificant seed. Now these two parables are samples. Look at verse 33. Here he's going to explain the parables he just told. He says, with many such parables he spoke the word to them. These are two that would show us the kinds of parables, the kinds of stories he told his disciples to help them understand things about the kingdom. Uh, you can look at Matthew 13, Luke 13. They'll give you more information about these kinds of parables. But have we learned this morning from these two that the kingdom is inevitable? It's bound to come regardless of, of our effort, intervention, ability, or knowledge, or lack thereof. And that regardless of its seemingly insignificant size or beginnings, it's still going to grow and show up. Those are things we learn about the kingdom. He did this same thing with lots of other stories. And then it says, as they were able to hear it, just means he explained this to them in a way they could understand it. He did not speak to them without a parable. But privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. I think the first them in verse 34 goes back to verse 10. Would you just hang with me for a few more moments? Look back at verse 10. When he was alone, those around him with the 12. Do you see that? So we have this group that's more than the 12, but we're not sure who it includes completely. I think that's the pronoun them in verse 33 and 34, that he spoke in parables to most of his followers at this point. Why is that? Because earlier in chapter 4 and in chapter 3, he was getting opposition to the point where finally they were, they were saying about Christ, you're doing this in the power of Satan. Remember that? The unpardonable sin, this posture of consistent rebellion that makes you unsavable as long as you have this uh, 
unbended knee to the authority of Jesus. He sees that happening. So at this point in the narrative, he's probably a year, year and a half into his ministry. He takes his disciples and he's now going to teach them more about the kingdom in a way that, watch this, does two things. It intrigues those who want to hear and it actually confuses those who oppose him. It's very similar to being in a service and one person came in intent on finding what's wrong with the message. And when they leave, they've done exactly that. They've got a thousand reasons why that was the worst message they ever heard. And they're, they're further away from God than they were when they came in. And someone else coming here the same message and can feel closer to God. It's because typically uh, you tend to find what you're looking for, don't you? And so he spoke in parables to the thirsty to draw them in more. And yet to those who were opposing him, it seemed to be impossible now for them to understand. And you'll see this explained again. Chapter 4, oh, about verse uh, 12. This is difficult theology to grasp, but just let the Bible speak to you. When they opposed him, and they remained in their rebellious posture, these scribes, these religious leaders, then he spoke in ways that would make it difficult for them to ever hear, to ever perceive, to ever understand. Of course, it fulfilled a lot of Old Testament prophecy, but yet for those who were hungry, he spoke in parables, stories, that made the, the kingdom of God even more clear. These were two of them, two of these sample stories that helps us see things important about the kingdom of God. And this morning what we're seeing is that it's inevitable. It's bound to come. It is going to grow and show up. And instead of fighting that, instead of saying, that makes me feel like I'm not important, that makes me think, what am I doing here? What's my role? How, I thought I mattered. Instead of having a, a Western American lens that wants to see us and everything, let's just be thankful for the beautiful promise that it's not up to us. <laughs> and can we just embrace the beauty of this promise that God's kingdom is inevitable? It is surprising growth. It's bountiful growth. It's mysterious growth. There's a lot we can say about this. It's promised growth. It's patient growth. It's slow growth. It's surprising growth. It's eventual growth. We can say a lot of words that describe this kind of growth, but let's be thankful on this. It is nonetheless inevitable growth, regardless of how well or how poorly you do. Thank you, Jesus. Man, I feel like he just hit the release valve. Do you feel that way? And do you ever serve in the church? Do you ever lead in your ministry, lead your small group, serve as a deacon, maybe as an elder? And man, it just doesn't go well. Like you, just, you just didn't do it very well. You're like, man, I, I blew that one. Relax. <laughs> I'm not excusing poor behavior performance. I'm definitely not excusing sin. I'm trying to bring some reality into our situations. No one bats a thousand. You're not going to get it right every time. But God gets it right every time. And so somewhere in this thing we call life, and there, here's where I'm struggling. Here, here's where I entered into last service. Like, man, I'm, I believe this, but I don't know how to process it. Somewhere in this role of pastoring, like for me, in this role of pastoring, trying hard to do it well and realizing that sometimes I don't, probably more often than I want to admit, 
that somewhere in that, there is this way to say, you know what, it's just not up to me. The pressure's off, Todd. I don't embrace that well. I don't hit the release valve enough. That's why I sleep well at night, but I don't know if I sleep for this reason. And I want to sleep for this reason. I want to go to my, I want to put my head on my pillow at night and know that, you know what, yeah, there's some marriages in our church that, man, they need drastic help. But, um, boy, I don't know if I can say this right now. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just struggling. But you know what? It's, I'm not the only guy that can help them. I don't know how to say that. Any, I don't know how to say that anymore. Nicely. Like, it's not just up to me. There's some men who need to step it up. There's some ladies who really um, need to step it up. There's some kids. There's some situations. There's a lot of things. Like, man, God, over this... You looked over the landscape like, Lord, the weight of the church sometimes just rests on you like, wow. And I think this parable comes along and says, Todd, relax. You don't own the kingdom. I need to hear that. And instead of revolting that, say, well, I don't feel like I'm needed now. I just say, praise God, I don't own the kingdom. It's better for you that I don't, trust me. <laughs> I can hardly manage my own little plate. In fact, sometimes I don't even manage that real well. Do you know that? Our staff could tell you that. Our elders, our deacons. I've got a boatload of things that I wish I'd have done differently. I do. In 15 years, who wouldn't, right? I've got a list of things like, boy, I wish I'd have said that differently. Wish I'd have done that differently. And this text, man, it just, this comes into my life as a relief. As a, it clicks the button and the, and the, the burdens fall off. That while I, I want to do well as your pastor, I'm not a perfect pastor. You want to find something wrong, you want to look very long, you'll find it. But you know what? The kingdom's growth and eventual coming is not contingent upon my success or failure, and neither is it contingent upon yours. It rests solely on the shoulders of God Almighty, and He will grow and bring His kingdom. Hallelujah, church. See, we can rest in that. It reminds me of the verse in Matthew 16. In fact, would you read this with me? Together. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, Peter had a part to play. He's an important person, so to speak. But you know what? He wasn't indispensable. Christ would build his church, period. It's his church. He purchased it. And the church is part of the kingdom of God. And so what we see here is this just this, this soul-satisfying truth that you and I can sleep because God's got his kingdom under control. It's going to grow and it's going to come. So let's relax. Can I say that and still be an ethical, right pastor? Can I say, yes, I can, right? Yeah, it's going to come. God's got it. Let's take a deep breath. And let's just relax. We got through that. That's good. I, I'm still in the throes of that. I'm still kind of in the mix. I'm much more American than I want to admit to you. I'm a lot more industrious, capitalistic, hard-working, card-carrying, red, white, and blue sometimes I want to say to you. You want to get your hands on something and kind of take credit. But you know what? 
There's no credit when you're sleeping and rising and you don't know how the seed's growing. You're like, hey, how'd that work? I don't know. I'm just planting seed, dude. Right? It's automatic. God's going to grow it. And it may seem like a small seed, but it will be significant to the point that one day all nations, languages, tribes, and tongues will find their home in the kingdom of God. Yeah. Can I um, have you enter into another person's experience of this for a few moments? Because I think it would be good for you to hear, not just from my perspective, how I as a pastor kind of process this and am processing it currently, and how you and your red, white, and blue card-carrying inter entrepreneurial, enterprising kind of American way processing because you've got your pressures. You have the same situation just in your own framework. I want us to hear from Eric just for a few minutes about how he's kind of balancing the, the pressure to plant a church, what's expected, with the confidence. You know what? God's got this. Like, how do you balance effort along with results? And, and are those words we can talk about at the same time? So Eric, will you join me on the platform for a moment? Eric launches in about um, a month and a half, two months, I think. But you won't see him much more around here because beginning in August, they start uh, consecutive weeks of what we call soft preview services. And once those are done, they'll launch in September. So he only got maybe a week or two more with Eric and your family. Man, we've loved having you here for a year. It's been a year. I know. It's amazing, isn't it? It goes fast. It's like your beard. It just really it's grows true. fast, doesn't it? Yeah. It's true. And I have to worry about the birds making nests in it. <laughs> sure. So how do, you, how do you kind of hear this parable, uh, hear this text? How do you balance what's expected, and yet do you sleep at night because you know what? It's not up to me, but yet, do you feel like it is up to you? I mean, sure. as a planter, kind of give us some insight into your own sure. turmoil. Yeah. Uh, the, the interesting thing is, is I think I actually sleep pretty well. Um, and if... People who are going to Germany with me in just a couple of weeks will know this too. I can sleep anywhere at any time. Uh, I've slept on numerous plane flights uh, to other countries with, with ease, really. In the same tension. I don't know if it's because of this that I'm sleeping that well or I just enjoy sleep. But, but here's why I think I can do that. Years ago, I realized that I couldn't save anybody. But yet I had been saved, not through my own doing, but through the work of God He's the one who saves people, and I just, I just have to be faithful to what he's put in front of me. So, so it's really like when we talk about this tension, it's really an, an obedience issue. Okay. Am, am I obedient to what God's calling me to in this moment and being faithful to what he has in front of me to scatter the seed, to share the gospel with people, and just trust that he's going to save those? Amen. Would you admit that's sometimes hard? It is. It is because there is there's outside pressure. I mm. think um, I don't think it comes from our network, from the sin network, and putting the pressure on you have to get to a certain number. I think it's just humanly speaking, we tend to evaluate numbers more so than we use any other tool to evaluate things. So you feel this pressure of you have to have a certain number of people by a certain date and, and all these things. But if the reality is that it's not about how many people are in the room, but what God is doing in the moment and through those people, then it, yeah. I'm, I'm not chasing those numbers, right? I, I just I want to be a part of what God's doing in that place. I think the people in those chairs can relate to that from this angle that I think all of us feel the weight of certain metrics. Whatever your occupation you may be a homemaker, you may be a business owner, but you, sometimes the, the, you said numbers. 
that's kind of our word in our, sure. in our field, but sure. I think everyone here rows the boat of thinking, what metrics lean into me and make me feel like I'm worthy now? And I think especially of young moms, um, you know, if you're on social media at all and you're a young mom, and I say this because I think this is true. I've never been a young mom, so I don't know this is true. <laughs> but my heart is, goes out to young moms. I think they, of all groups, feel the most amount of pressure to measure up. Because if you look on social media, I mean, you could pick your issue. There's always someone that seems like they've got the answer. And so you're reading and you're watching. You're like, man, I don't do that. I don't have that. I don't... And you can almost scroll enough to where you feel like you're the worst mom in the world. Like, so it's these metrics, these measurements. Like maybe it's a business owner. Like I don't make a certain amount of money. Or maybe I don't live a certain address. I mean, so it's, our field deals with that. But I think all of us here have to figure out who really owns like the part of the kingdom you're working in. Do you feel like there's this pressure that you got to produce like you said, long-term, or can you just obey in the moment? Yeah. 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 It's a really strong tension. It and, is. And it, it's, a, it's a comparison thing, right? Yeah. It, like it's, it's not just our profession. It's everybody in the social media world, but it's not just isolated to social media. It's any conversation that we have, any resource that we read, any conversation that we're having with other people, that people are comparing you or me to somebody else rather than mm. comparing ourselves to God, which is, which is really the standard. And Scripture is clear that we've all fallen short of that. Yeah, amen. But he's shown grace. So Yeah. Well, any updates you want to give us on Adele as you prepare in these last couple months with insane uh, workloads and agendas and to-do lists? And yet you're obeying in the moment. You don't want to feel the pressure, but you probably do. So you balance all this. What about some updates about idea? How are things going out there, and what can we do to help, or what should we know? What should we know? Yeah, yeah. I think things are going really well. Um, our last preview service is next week, um, and then beginning of August we start meeting weekly, and so we'll be meeting every Sunday. We'll be back here at the end of August for our commissioning service. And then our big public launch is September 8th. So, so we're here. Uh, we're, we're in the thick of everything that's going on, but we're still trusting that the Lord is moving in the hearts of people and, and people are still connecting to us. And, and that's one of those things that like, we talk about the tension of this text, that God was faithful in that city before we got there. Amen. He's faithful now and he's going to be faithful after I'm long gone. Uh, and so we're trusting in that, but, but we believe that we have... We're a part of what he's doing, and so we want to communicate that to people, and we, we want to ask you to pray with us for those things, but, but also consider if, if God's calling you to be a part of that as well. Yeah. So you had invited anyone here, still hasn't decided if they should join you at the church plant team? Like, hey, come on, join us, yeah. right? Yeah. Amen. We would support that. It's not too late in the, in the game, uh, but if you want to move to Adel and just be part of the church plant, man, we would support that, and we would applaud that. For the right reasons, okay. Um, I know you got most of your, a lot of your teams over here. I see them. Uh, that's great. You guys have been great for a year here as well. It's hard to believe a year has gone by, but um, we are praying for you. We are for you, and we're in your corner. But most of all, what we want to do is me and you just keep working together with our churches and then the guys we planted before. You know, Steve and Eric. I mean, um, uh, Nick. I think about Timor in Central Asia and. Guys in Bondurant, you know, let's help each other keep our expectations vertical and not horizontal. We can keep our people, 
thinking that way. It just reduces the amount of unnecessary pressure that we're all sensing sometimes, right? right. And just obeying the moment, yeah. knowing that God's got his kingdom. He owns it. Sure. We're praying for you. We love yeah. you, man. We really yeah. do. Thanks, man. Hey, help me thank Eric, would you? Amen. So I want you to hear kind of what it looks like in his world, and I know you're thinking what it looks like in your world. You've kind of heard my world. It just this, print, this parable, I think, leans into us well about the pressures we feel when, we, when we just, we're not measuring up. Like, man, am I hurting God's kingdom? Am I helping it? I, I think there are answers to those, but at the end of the day, the bigger answer is this. Press the release valve because his kingdom is inevitably going to grow and show up regardless of your inability or ability or its size or seemingly insignificance. And that's actually not something to make us feel uh, badly. That should make us feel joyful. It's a promise to put our feet on, not a club to beat us up with. Amen. So, so let's just kind of word it this week as a take-home promise. Let's give it one sentence that we can just say, man, this will... It makes us smile, like your teeth will show when you read this. Can we do that? Read this with me, ready? The kingdom of God is bound to grow and come, so work hard today and sleep well tonight. Do I see your teeth? I'm looking for your teeth. I mean, doesn't that bring a smile to your face? Hey, I can work hard. I'm not afraid to engage and be responsible, like, but I know I'm not the causal agent. I'm not the ending agent. It's a lot bigger than me. So yeah, I'll work hard and I'll sleep well and snore tonight. Like, that, that's good news, guys. Now to live this out, I want to just give you a couple of strategies as a close. Now we'll do these quickly, I promise, because um, they're, not, they're, they're a little repetitious, but I, I need you to have these strategies because they point us in the right direction. They'll keep you from saying, okay, I'll just relax and take it easy, and you'll avoid two extremes. You won't just become lazy, but you won't become a workaholic either. You'll continue to have the right balance of engaging, but with the right reasons and motives. So two helpful strategies that I found helpful for my life. One is work from God's promises, not for God's production. Do not try to leverage God. Let me give you an example, like in evangelism. Okay, I really want someone to be saved and you have a friend on your heart and you have the right kind of compassion. So you say, okay, God, you said if I witness, you'll save. So you go and you kind of vomit up this witnessing attempt, right? Hey, God, you didn't save him. What's up with that? I'm, I'm, I'm doing my part. Can you do yours? You're trying to crank on God. Like, that's not the, we don't work for God to produce. We work from the promise that God will do everything he said. So let's take evangelism. So we witness and share in all kinds of ways, in acts of mercy, in conversations, in community welcome bags. There's a lot of ways. But we witness and we share our faith. Why? Because we know God will save. In fact, church, grasp this. God wants people saved way more than you do. You're not having to convince God to save people. His kingdom's going to house people from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue. Sometimes I think we, we feel like we're the real compassionate ones. God, I'm going to get you on my side here and see if you can do something in this, in this person's life. Wait, we've got this thing backwards. He's the original rescuer. And in fact, today, the Bible says this in Luke. There is more joy 
among the angels over one sinner who repents and over 99 who don't need repentance. So you know how happy God is when people get saved? He's so happy that, that more angels will rejoice over that one thing than probably will rejoice over what happens among us. That's what it says, right? More over one that repents and 99 who don't need it. So I don't know how you read all that. Just know this. You don't have to try to convince God to save people. Just know God wants to. He loves lost people. He sent his son to die for them. So when you can and as you have opportunity to cross the threshold and take a meal or speak a word, man, share your faith and watch God keep his promise. Work from God's promises, not for God's production. Second strategy that I found helpful is to rest in God's satisfaction, not on your completion. So I love to check off the boxes, crawl into bed right before I get my good sleep, probably for the wrong reasons, <laughs> and think about, man, I got everything done today. And some days when I don't, I'm like, man, I need to probably try to tackle that before it hits midnight, or could I make this one final call or send this last email? But you know what? If I were to get all those done or not done, God's not going to love me more or less. Isn't that beautiful news? God's not watching my to-do list because God has found every bit of his satisfaction not in my completion of task, but in the sacrifice of his son. And when God looks at Greg Davidson, John Schmidt, Brian Mostrom, Kirby White, Brandon Gable, Jeff Brandt, Brant Carr, Sarah Hensel, when God looks at you, he doesn't say, I love you more today, Greg, because you got more done. You helped my kingdom grow. Thank you, Greg. Oh, you won. Ah, oh, you really botched it on that one thing. Now, I got an extra day of work now, Greg. Thanks, buddy. That's not, that's not God. God sees you in Jesus, and he sees you justified, adopted, and he's perfectly satisfied because Jesus has done the work for you. Thank you. Every one of you. Isn't that good to know? Because you know what, man? I, I got a list of things that I didn't do well. Things I wish I would have gotten done. And if I'm relying on my completion to make me feel better, I'm going to be a dollar short and a day late every single night. But I can lodge my security and my satisfaction in Jesus, I'll never come up short. And neither will you. Right. So let the gospel be the foundation for your identity and your sense of security and satisfaction. Just rest in that. So yeah, we, we want to work, engage, participate. We want to rise and, and, and uh, sow. We want to sleep. All those things, we'll do them. But not so God will produce, but we want to do them because God has promised to do what he will do. And one of them is to bring his kingdom. So we're just going to participate as he does it. At the same time, while we're doing that, we're not going to try to use that as a way to, to gain some kind of personal status or significance. We're just going to trust that, you know what? Even with what I did or didn't do, God is satisfied because Christ is perfect. And think about it, church. Isn't that whose kingdom is coming in the end anyway? It's not... Nancy's kingdom it's not Leroy's kingdom or Scott's kingdom it's not Chris's kingdom it's the kingdom of God when he comes he will set everything right that 
that when you look out the window of your life, you want to set it right and you just can't fix it permanently? You, you, you help, you deal with it, you address it. Those things are appropriate, but you just can't fix it permanently. You don't have that power. Only one does, Jesus Christ, amen? That's why he's the only one who's worthy of your praise. And when his kingdom comes, he's the only one we'll praise forever. That's right. Because he will set the wrongs right. I long for that day, don't you? So will you today pray this with me? Lord, your kingdom come. And at the same time, will you smile on your teeth like, hey, it's going to come too. It's bound to come. And Lord, will you come quickly? That's the prayer, the explanation that'll let you sleep tonight.